0: welcome to skull stories presented by cambria proud to be the official countertop of the minnesota vikings tonight we're speaking with former vikings tight end brent novoselski so let's take a quick look back at the primetime purple game from last thursday as your vikings held on to another late game lead to get the w versus the pittsburgh steelers and if not for a late knockdown by our guy hitman now breakup man harrison smith uh, we would have had a very different outlook on the coming week in Zimmer's post game press conference. Um, the most telling and important thing that he said was when asked about the difference between the first and second half, his point was it wasn't adjustments, it wasn't the people, it was the attention to detail. And one of the things that I saw was on every drive in the first half, Patrick Peterson huddled up the defense on the sideline before they took the field. Something similar to what we saw in Baltimore with their defense. And he got those guys, talked to them, got them fired up. And I think they lost that little bit going into the second half. And I think that's the part of this team that we have to accept. It doesn't make sense that a team can look that good and then struggle the way they do. How do you go from 29 to nothing to – a you know, the last play of the game, that's it. That little, that little bit of loss of concentration, loss of attention
1: to detail. It's amazing. And that's the pressure that you live under every single day. When you play this game, you're fighting attention to detail. You're fighting complacency. And I think the biggest thing for the coaches can be going in and saying what you did here in this first half, which was five sacks and a pick and holding them to less than 70 yards of offense total Versus the second half of all of the yards and all of the scoring, the four touchdowns that they gave up. Like just looking at him and asking, "What changed? What was the difference?" And 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 as coaches, I'm sure they have an idea, but at the same point, like hearing it from the mouths of the players is a completely different animal. So hopefully, for them, they can look at the the footage and say, "Do what you did in the first half and avoid the second half because that's been the problem." All season long, we should have pretty much the same
0: group the rest of this year. And so I think there could be some, some good positive steps on defense. So overall Dalvin cook was, was the star of the show, but for Dalvin to go out there and do what he did after rehabbing, after all those things that happened, you talk about a leader, he's the leader of this team. You know, cousins had, I think a solid outing, um, not his best, but I don't think it was all on him. You know, the two, the two interceptions were, were the big things, the two turnovers, uh, 216 passing yards. Justin Jefferson, unbelievable in the first half, and then gets only one reception in the second. But a couple opportunities that Jefferson had, I still love the idea that we're getting aggressive, that we're going downtown we're throwing it deep to Jefferson. That first half was, was really a thing of beauty. All right. Well, let's catch up with tonight's guest. From growing up in Illinois to starting his NFL career with the said Chicago Bears, to finishing his career with the with with our Minnesota Vikings, um, this former tight end has some great stories to tell. He's an awesome guy. He's one of my favorite teammates. He was a vet that that took care of all of us. Uh, I know you're going to enjoy my conversation with the guest of the week tonight, Brent you. <laughs> Absolutely thrilled to bring in one of my former teammates and a guy who uh, was a big role model, I know, for me as a rookie in the NFL, and that's Brent Novoselski. Brent, how are you doing?
2: Dude, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: It's been quite some time. I mean, 1988 through 94, you were in the NFL. I think you started in 88 in Chicago, so you were a bear for a little while and then came over to Minnesota. Tell me about your time in Minnesota when you found out you were coming here, and what were your thoughts?
2: I grew up in Chicago, so coming to the Bears, my rookie year was interesting. Uh, with uh, you know Mike Ditka, and you know three years removed from the Super Bowl, Ditka had his heart attack that year. I didn't give it to him. <laughs> uh, he had the Fog Ball, uh, you know, I, I, it was really cool because you know I got to wear his number, so. You know, I played here for a year, and they retired my number, which is kind of cool. <laughs> did
0: um, Ditka ever say it, anything to you about that?
2: It was a few years, and I run into them every so often, but when I ran into them, I'm like, Mike, I am so glad that they finally retired our number. <laughs> and <clears throat> <laughs> and he said he said you know he goes no he goes i i like it when the kids wear it i go yeah mike i was kidding he took it pretty seriously but uh it was it was cool it was really cool to play there you, you know how it is to play it local right because oh yeah you know you get you get those tickets but you don't get enough tickets to cover everybody so Basically, I was making the minimum, which was about sixty grand, and I spent every dime getting <laughs> tickets for my friends and family. Isn't so, it
0: amazing how many friends you, know, you have that from growing up? When all, when all of a sudden you're uh, you're playing on Sunday.
2: Oh yeah, they come out of the woodwork and they can't get tickets anywhere else, so they come to you, which is fine. <laughs> except that's one of the main reasons in the off season I went Plan B free agency to uh, Green Bay. Uh, that. Along with the fact that they paid me 25 grand and up my salary to about 120. So they doubled my salary. I figured I was three hours away, you know, in, in uh, cheeseland and, and didn't figure that people could get up there as quickly. So that, that worked out okay until I got cut, the final cut there uh, right before the season started. And uh, it kind of irked me because Lindy Infante, who was the coach there at the time, he never said a word to me. So, you know, with the Bears, I got cut a few times in camp and they brought me back. But when I got cut, Ditka spent like 20 minutes with each guy that he cut. He told, you know, he sat down, he told you what you needed to work on. He told you he appreciated the effort. I mean, it was, you know, it wasn't a great feeling to get cut, but it was a better feeling than, you know, your position coach saying, yeah, um, yeah, I don't know why we cut you. (laughs) I, I broke two cartilage in my ribs during camp in Green Bay. And I missed half a day of practice to get x-rays and coaching Fante uh, called me out for missing that half a day of practice. And then I, I wound up wearing a flag jacket the rest of camp and couldn't breathe. And, and, you know, so they cut me. So, you know, uh, my love for green Bay goes deep to begin with. Um, you know, so I I get picked up (laughs) by the Vikings the next week and played out the season there and wound up knocking the Packers out of the playoffs that year. So, uh, good riddance
0: the uh, justice was justice was served so you played in the fog bowl against the philadelphia eagles yeah. which that has to be one of the craziest weather games ever all time i mean what was yeah. that like
2: it was december 31st and it was balmy it was nice it was a perfect football day you know it was a perfect fall football day and then right around the end of the second quarter i'm looking down the south end zone and it looked like one of the hot dog vendors was on fire. I mean, literally, it looked like smoke was pouring out of the tunnel. like, what? What's going on there? And all of a sudden, it started in, in, you know, engulfing the stadium. And by the time we came out after halftime, you, you literally could not see 20 yards in front of you, maybe. And it was funky because it really won the game for us because we could stop the run. We couldn't stop the pass. As we proved a week later against San Francisco. Um, so, all of a sudden, Philadelphia, you know, Randall Cunningham, Chris Carter, they couldn't throw. So, uh, that won the game for us, really. And i run it down on kicks, running down on punts, literally looking up in the air, and the ball would just come out of nowhere. <laughs> and uh, the coolest thing was you'd be on the field, you look around, and it was literally like we were playing in the park when we were kids. Wow. Because you couldn't see any of the fans.
0: You know, oh, until you man.
2: got to the to the sideline, and then you look at the fans, and the fans were just looking at you. They couldn't see what was going on on the field, so they're sitting on their hands. They, and nobody's leaving because it's a playoff game. They spent a lot of money for it, so it was yeah, it was the most surreal game I've ever played in.
0: That's a piece of history that you were a part of, and and that's that's something I'm sure you talk about all the time with your folks from back home. Now, 1994, my rookie year, you were here. Um, with the Minnesota Vikings and I know graduating from Penn um, you I believe uh, and Greg Minuski is that correct went to Penn as well or he went to Brown? No
2: Minuski Minuski didn't go to Penn or Brown come on
0: where did he go Colgate or something where did did Minuski go to yeah Yeah, Colgate all right okay I'm sorry I I just all I remember showing up was they were saying that he was really (laughs) smart but he's really crazy and I'm like yes because you had some characters here uh, back then who are some of your Minoski favorites? Was,
2: well, look, you got you got Minoski. I love Minoski because <laughs> the two of us used to go at it, you know, for tackles and on special teams. And, you know, he, he just take a lot of pride in that. But, yeah, he, he had he's a little nutty, but very, very smart guy. And, and, you know, look what he's done in coaching. He's just a phenomenal coach. Uh, one of my favorites. Uh, obviously, you know, Mike Morris uh, remains to this day. One of my favorite people uh, in the world. Uh, classic, classic guy. A great sense of humor. Uh, still close with Randall McDaniel um, and a lot of the, a lot of the folks up there.
0: Skull stories is presented all season long by Cambria. Proud to be the official countertop of the Minnesota Vikings. We'll be back with more Skull stories right after this. It's football season at Mystic Lake with Vikings Drawings. Enter casino and digital drawings for prizes like season tickets, away game trips, and an ice castle fish house. Get details and enter now at mysticlake.com vikings. Now let's get back into our conversation with Brent Novoselski. Have you had a chance to come out here and see the facility in the stadium yet?
2: Yeah, I have. I think Steve Jordan had his number, or his, uh, his name put up in the ring of honor and I, I came for that and got to see a whole new brand new oh my goodness it's uh a little different than
0: little different than winter park is it not
2: <laughs> you know winter park the way i remember it uh when i started which you know it's 1989 we didn't even have an indoor facility we had that little bubble uh, harry Newsom used to hit the top of it on purpose and um <laughs> you know and then it came down in the in you know the end of the season it fell down so we were kind of struggling out there yeah. but uh
0: Bubbles don't do well up here, you know. Bubble, R- yeah, roofs, bubbles, they they just they, they just they don't they don't survive very long up here, do they?
2: <laughs> well, Harry, you know, when they built the new indoor facility, which was was beautiful at Winter Park, uh, Harry used to take lights out. He literally would punt the ball and, and take lights out. So we were running down on punts, and you actually had to look up and and kind of duck because the lights would be falling.
0: <laughs> you know, they had the the orange pylons in the end zone every day. Morris would go out there before practice, pick them up. Stand up near the wall, throw them up in the air, and try to get them to land in the i beams. And you'd come out, and there'd be no pylons every day. <laughs> then they'd yeah. go up in a they'd go up in the tower, have to go and get them down, and then next day, right up they'd go again.
2: I don't know if it was long snappers or what, but Mark Rodenhauser was there before Mike Morris, uh, Morris, and and the two of them, it, it was hilarious because I was there while they were still kind of trying to get them to run like scout team. And the thing about long snappers, you got to realize is they've got one talent usually, and that's snapping the ball between their legs really fast. They can't do anything else. (laughs) So both Rotenhauser and Mike Morris both had issues chewing gum and walking at the same time. We would run scout team, and they'd put these – they told you hold the plays up, and the plays were pretty simplistic. You were a little circle. And you saw where you were supposed to go and who you were supposed to block. It wasn't that hard. At the time, Floyd Peters would just get so upset because he's a defensive coordinator and these guys were supposed to give them a look. You know, I, I think Rodenhauser had just he just couldn't do it. Mark, you know, he's limited, but he great long snapper, right? And then when, when Michael J came, uh, Mr. Morris, uh, I think he did it on purpose because <laughs> he didn't want he, to be he out got there. Kicked out. Yeah. Well, he basically would go with the kickers to the stadium. So they would like jump in their cars in during practice and they drive to the stadium and then they kick and and do their thing at, at the stadium. So basically, you know, I think Mike was, was the first one to actually work from home, uh, in pro football. <laughs> <Pretty good. laughs>
0: not a bad, not a bad gig. If you can get it now, when you got sure. here, um, uh, Jerry Burns was the head coach. Uh, what are your memories of Jerry? Because, I mean, I know I have a few, and I never even played for the guys.
2: Jerry was was something else. Jerry was absolutely a character. Jerry was all about the big knockers. Yes, he so, was. The big guy. You know, Coleman and, you know, AC and, you know, he, you know, then they got we got Herschel. And he came. You remember Darryl Fullington? Yes. Defensive back. Yeah. So Darryl had this souped-up uh, SUV. And uh, had had the uh, sound system just so totally souped up. And one day we're we're out of practice. All of a sudden, driving onto the practice field, here's Jerry, comes in Fullington's car, with it blasting. You know, <laughs> I think it was reggae at the time. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. But but he was. Uh, Jerry was something else on the sidelines. You know, I, I'd have to stand near him because I, I was, you know, ready to go in on short yardage, goal line, and also for punt. Okay, are we going to punt? What are we going to do? I got to know because, you know, I'm kind of leading that out there, and I used to call the plays and all. So I was standing next to Jerry like his last season, and I kind of knew it was his last season because I'm standing next to Jerry, and I'm like, Coach, um, are we punting? And he goes, uh, who's got the ball? <laughs>
1: so,
2: I guess, so wow. I kind of knew he was kind of done at that time, but mm. you talk about one of the just geniuses of the game, I mean, you think about how long he went back and with Fran Tarkington and all those great Viking teams and you know four super Bowls and he was a great- a great player's coach uh the guys loved him, loved playing for him not the most disciplinary guy in the world. But then again, that came with that defense and yeah. you know, guys like Keith Millard. And it was a fun time. Uh, but the inmates ran the asylum at that time. It right. Had,
0: uh, they don't need a tight leash.
2: Right. Right. And then of course we went through the opposite side when they, when they uh, hired Denny and uh, you know, it, but that seemed to work too. You know, it just was a, it was a different time and it was kind of the end of the old, you know, in with the new, um,
0: yeah. you know, Denny comes in. I still consider Denny a, really a players coach but what were your impressions of him when he first showed up
2: Denny was Joe College you, you know he had that plan the whole year so like the third week of of practice or the third week of the season he would kick us out of practice yeah you know for, for you know it's just you guys you're not you're not concentrating get out of here and he'd kick us out and you know the first time it was like whoa gee this is oh this harsh and then of course after that next couple of years it's like okay here we go third week he's kicking us out you know Denny was right away it was just let's keep you fresh and boy that 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 could have added a lot of years to my my career if i didn't get hurt
0: so last question for uh brent novoselski you work with benai barith sports lodge if i mispronounce that please let me know um yes you did that's okay okay so we're, we're gonna tell we'll, tell we'll, us a we'll little bit about that
2: you. yeah but Barith is uh it's a jewish organization um uh back in the 30s and 40s um you know, Jewish people in Chicago uh, wouldn't really—they—they they were discriminated against. They—they they weren't allowed to play in, you know, softball tournament leagues, and and bowling leagues. So we made our own. It's a scholarship program, and and I received a scholarship back when I was a freshman at Penn, and it paid for my books, and it was an important deal for me. So I've been running it for about twenty some years now, wow. and we give out about twenty twenty-five scholarships a year to, uh, local kids. And, and then I, I work a lot with, um, the NFL players association here, the retired guys. And the best thing about the retired guys is, um, they need help. And yeah. they're, they are a good bunch of guys. And you know what, if you can focus them properly, um, kind of like herding kittens, uh, you actually can make a big impact on the area. And, and we've made a huge impact on, on the Chicago area through what we're able to do for, uh, these youth sports programs and really youth football programs. I mean, we're trying to make sure the game survives. Uh, You know, our pencils are kind of, you know, revolving around that, Uh, but it it, it is a great game. And, you know, it's changed a lot and it needed to, Um, but it's still, there's no better game out there to teach young kids how to to be part of the team than, than football.
0: Absolutely agree. Brent, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you soon.
2: Absolutely. Take care. All right.
0: Take care, man. Bye. Thanks again to Brent for joining us tonight from his days here in Minnesota to the great work he's continuing in the Chicagoland area. It's always great to hear from Brent Novoselski and it's great to have him on the show once again. All right, let's take a look at our Northern tool and equipment keys to success. Northern tool equipment brings the power with top brands like Milwaukee steel, Lincoln Electric, Honda, and more. Northern Tool and Equipment, quality tools for serious work. Now, these Bears are 4-9 and and working through the aches and pains of working with a season with a rookie quarterback, Justin Fields. Uh, First game back against Green Bay after the rib injury. Now, he's played in 11 games, 1,585 passing yards, six TDs. The problem, 33 sacks and 10 interceptions. Um, He can make things happen with his feet and with his arm. I think he's starting to get a little bit more of the just throw it up there, you know, to him. He's getting, I think, a little more loose. But their offensive line um, is limited at best, so the pressure, the hits, those things have to continue. You you can't let him get comfortable. Um, you can't let him get a feel or get a rhythm in this kind of a game. So it's going to be up to our defensive line, and I think they're up to the task. And our defensive ends and our tackles should have an unbelievable night against them.
1: You saw him make some really, really nice throws and make some really good moves, kind of elusive and escaping. But then it would get down to the end where he'd have a guy wide open and he just didn't put the right amount of touch on it or something. And it was for someone like him, he's showing signs of some greatness there even. And I think um, as he's figuring this stuff out and kind of taking his lumps here, uh, I think eventually he, he's going to start to put this together better.
0: I mean, Jay, you know, back in the day when you when you, you knew you were getting to a quarterback when he was physically limping, I think now when you start to get the quarterback, it shows up in um, incompletions, right? The inaccuracy, and that's exactly what you're talking about. You see it. It's, yeah, you're, you're playing loose. You're, he's flipping the ball you know, while he's in the grasp, underhand of the running back, and then... He gets a, you know, kind of a routine type throw and he misses it. And we've seen that uh, out of Lamar Jackson. Uh, we've seen it out of Kirk Cousins, too. You know, it, it's just games when when they're getting to him and getting at his feet, it does affect accuracy down the field. And in this day and age, you have to be an accurate passer. So I agree. The inaccuracies, if we start seeing those showing up in fields, um, that's good. That means the rush is getting to him. That means we're, you know, we're getting physical with him. The other guy is David Montgomery, um, 608 rushing yards. He's been hurt a lot this year, four rushing TDs. Um, Darnell Mooney, I mean, this guy's coming. He's growing. Um, a good receiver, 100, you know, 740 yards, three touchdowns. Cole Komet, their tight end. Um, good blocker. He's kind of a, a dual threat, and they love using him in the short passing game on the bootlegs and everything else. Um, and then there's Robinson. I mean, Robinson – is the most talented receiver. He and the quarterback just aren't in sync right now. And we got to let that, we got to make that continue. Because if we let Allen Robinson start getting steam, look out. Because defensively, they're still solid ninth in yards uh, per game, eighth in passing yardage per game. You know, not as good against the rush. They've been decimated. Khalil Mack out for the season. That's been a huge loss. And then to lose Akeem Hicks as well, he's been out um, since week nine. Um, If they get him back, that'll be a shot in the arm for their interior defensive line. Uh, Roquan Smith is the linchpin to their entire defense. This guy, 130 tackles this year. That's it, just 130. Uh, And then, you know, Robert Quinn, 14 sacks. I mean, outside of, you know, you have TJ Watts of the world, but this guy is a premier pass rusher. You know, you got Eddie Jackson in the backfield. They, they're a little bit like Pittsburgh where they depend a lot on that pass rush uh, in, the, in the back end. They, they're, when they're forced to cover during an extended play or for, you know protections there, play action, scramble, those kinds of things, just like with Pittsburgh, they don't, they don't match up in their zones real well. They leave these gaps. They leave these spaces, and we're going to have to take advantage of that. So it's always awesome to play in that stadium, in this town, great fans, Keem Hicks coming back on Monday Night Football. That's going to be a shot in his arm. So we're going to take the wind out of their sails. So if you can't make it to the Windy City, be sure to join Paul Allen, Ben Lieber, Mike Musman, Greg Coleman, and myself on the KFAN pregame show and broadcast all across this Vikings radio network. Thank you again for joining us for another episode of Skull Stories presented by Cambria. Proud to be the official countertop of the Minnesota Vikings. We will see you all again next week.